Well, today we are going to be beginning a new series on prayer. Now, I'll admit this is a very overwhelming topic that I am tasked to teach in six lessons. You know, especially when I look at my own prayer life and realize that it's not ideal. Now, I would love to stand here and tell you that my prayer life is as it should be. But the reality is, is that I know that that's not the case. So the fact that in the providence of God, I am the one that will be teaching on this topic is very like God to do. Because basically, it's forced me to sit back and examine the scriptures and the teachings of our Reformed forefathers to understand this topic of prayer. It has forced me to examine my own prayer practices and see what I must do in order to rectify my shortcomings. And my prayer for everyone listening is that you also will be challenged as it pertains to your own prayer practices. My hope is that this series forces you to examine yourself and seek to better your prayer life. Now, this topic of prayer is underneath the umbrella of that overarching doctrine of God's means of grace, or in other words, God's ordinary means by which he communicates his benefits to us. Now, just by way of reminder, you know, when we're talking about those means of grace, what we're referring to are the word, both read and preached, the sacraments of the Lord's, uh, um, and the Lord's Supper and baptism, as well as prayer. Now, with the former two, the word and the Lord's Supper, you know, it's feasible for us to see how God's benefit is communicated through them. You know, when you take up and read the Bible, you, you're reading the words of God. You are reading his works and his redemptive actions through the pages. In preaching, you are hearing the word of God explained and articulated. Even in the sacraments, we are recalling those promises and those works as read and taught in his word. But see, prayer is different. See, unlike with the other two means of grace, we are where we are reading, we're listening, and we're observing. You know, in prayer, we're actively communicating. We're the one that's talking. We're the ones speaking to our Heavenly Father. So, you know, it may be difficult for us to consider how God's benefit is being communicated to us when we're the ones that are in active communication. But the reality of the fact is, is that we are benefiting. In prayer. Now, over the course of this series, you know, my hope is that you'll see how it is that we benefit from prayer. As for today, what I'd like to do is start off by answering the question, what exactly is prayer? Now, before we get into, you know, a formal definition of prayer, what I want to do is first start off by talking about what prayer is not, because there is a lot of misconceptions as it pertains to prayer. So the first thing that prayer is not, prayer is not a means by which we force God to do what we want. You know, Within the broad Christian camp, especially, you know, within our, with our charismatic friends, there are those who would see prayer as a way, you know, to get all that we want 
from God. You know, they see prayer as a way to force God to do what we want for him to do. You know, rather than submitting to the sovereignty of God, they implicitly believe in the sovereignty of man and that God will do what we want through constant prayer. Basically, God is a genie and prayer is our way of getting our wishes from him. Now, obviously, that is not prayer. Because God is sovereign over all things, he does not bend to our will. We cannot make God deviate from his sovereign decree. I think a good example of this, especially as it pertains to prayer, is with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because in this chapter, we see that Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh that he has. And three times he prays to God, asking God, God, please remove this thorn in in my flesh. And each time God tells him, my grace is sufficient for you. No amount of prayer from Paul was going to change God's decree in regards to that thorn in the flesh. Paul had to learn to be content with that thorn in the flesh and learn what God was teaching him through that thorn. Me mentioning this and me saying this is not to discourage us from persistently praying to God. I'm not trying to act and say that it's meaningless and pointless to constantly pray to God. As a matter of fact, throughout this series, one of the things I will be talking about is the fact that sometimes we do need to be stubbornly persistent in prayer. But my point is that we can never forget who is in charge. And it's not us. It's God. You know, I'll never forget, this was years ago, probably about 10 or 12 years ago now. I remember I spoke with a, with a good friend of mine, and he was telling me, essentially, that, you know, we can kind of trap God in his words through the Bible. Like, if we quote scripture to him that pertains to our situation, because we're quoting scripture, like, God is obligated to act. Like, God has no choice. You know, we kind of put God in the box to where it's like, dang, man, I, I didn't consider this. We can't think of God like that, as though we can outsmart God and force him to do our will through his word. Prayer is not a means, essentially, for us to become spoiled brats or spoiled children. Not at all. So prayer is not a means by which we can get God to do what we always want. The second thing that prayer is not, prayer is not a mindless or heartless ritual. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 7, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. Meaningless and empty words are utterly pointless and completely fruitless when it comes to prayer. Just saying something over and over again without any thought means nothing. And we have to be careful to not fall into this trap. When we pray, especially, you know, if we have a written prayer, which I am not saying that that's bad by any stretch. But, you know, when we pray and we have a prayer that we may use regularly or repeat regularly, we must not forget that we can't fall into the trap of turning that prayer into Mere ritualistic words. 
Something that you are just saying, but it loses its meaning. And, you know, to, to give you an example of something that not prayer per se, but just a saying that now has become ritualistic and, and it's lost its meaning. So in our society nowadays, after someone sneezes, what are we supposed to say? God bless you. Now, in a vacuum, to tell someone God bless you isn't a bad thing by any stretch of imagination. However, you know, that saying after someone sneezes nowadays has become more of a polite reflex to most people and not said out of a genuine desire to see that God actually blesses them. It's mindless. It's ritualistic. Likewise, when we pray a prayer and that prayer has just become a list of words that you're just repeating just to kind of get out of prayer time, it's meaningless and it's pointless, no matter how nicely structured and written out those words are. Now, again, does that mean that we can't have certain prayers that are written out and, and repeated on a regular basis? That's not what I'm saying. I can tell you personally, especially with my daughter, Noelle, as I try to teach her how to pray, we have several prayers written out to teach her how to pray on her on her own. But my point is, is that each time that those prayers are said, it has to be accompanied with a mind that is truly focused on what is actually being said. You know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 through 19, talking about spiritual gifts, but the principle is what I want for you to, to really think about. He says this, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks? Since he doesn't know what you're saying. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So as I mentioned, Paul in this passage is dealing with spirit, the spiritual gifts of the church that are now ceased, tongues and supernatural prophecy. However, the principle that he lays out in verse 19, that's what I want you to think about. Because he says that he would rather speak five words with his mind so that he can instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So in other words, where he's getting at here is that he would rather be succinct and meaningful with his words than verbose, but meaningless. And you know, a good example of this when we look in the Bible actually comes to us in the book of, of 1 Kings, when we see the account of Elijah talking with the prophets of Baal. Now, to be sure, to be clear, obviously the prophets of Baal are, you know, talking to a fake God that doesn't exist. But I want you to see the contrast between Elijah and the prophets. So, story can be found in 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm not going to read the entire uh, chapter, obviously, because this is not a sermon, but just a, um, a lesson. But I do want to highlight just the, the key parts here. So again, this is in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to read 
First, I'm starting in verse 25. Now, this is in regards to the prophets of Baal. So starting in verse 25, we see, So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now listen to Elijah. Verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I am, I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. So we see here that the prophets of Baal from morning all the way to evening, you know, were praying to their fake God to no answer. They cut themselves. They did all these ritualistic things, but no answer. Elijah, on the other hand, Said a quick, what, 10, 15 second prayer? And then God responded. Now, this is not to dissuade or discourage long prayers because we also read in the scriptures, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy praying for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus praying countless times, sometimes all night. So I'm not saying that long prayers are meaningless, but my point, going back to what Paul says, you know, better to be succinct, to be clear, than to be verbose and meaningless. So the next thing, before we actually look at the definition of prayer, the next thing that prayer is not, prayer is not talk therapy. God isn't a therapist, and we are not in therapy session when we pray to God. Nowadays, you have a lot of people who will tell you that, you know, sometimes, man, you just need to talk through your problems in order to to feel better. You just need to talk to somebody and let everything out that you've been holding back. And just talking to someone, well, that'll help you to feel better. So some people will let God be their therapist. Now, my point in bringing this up is not to dispute whether or not it's beneficial to talk to someone. That's not my point. But my point is to say that that's not prayer. Your time with God in prayer is not merely just a time for you to let out all your emotions that you've been holding back and then walk away. Now, to be clear... I don't want to be misunderstood here. There will be times in prayer where where you will be emotional. I'm thinking about Psalm chapter 6 where David is saying, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with my tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. So there will be times in which there will be emotional prayers. I'm not disputing that. 
However, merely treating prayer like a complaint session or a crying session misses the whole point of praying to a sovereign and holy God. So those are just a few of the things that prayer is not. Let's now take a look at what prayer actually is. Now, in defining prayer, what I did was I just looked at both our larger catechism and our shorter catechism, because there's a slight difference between the two, to come up with basically a, a succinct definition of prayer that I thought would be helpful. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. What I like to do with the rest of the time that I have here is just look at each of these point by point. So let's start with the first part. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. The psalmist writes in Psalm 62, verse 8, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. When we pray to God, we are pouring out our heart before him. We are bringing to him our desires and our requests. Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? God, our God, being a perfect Father, will not give us bad when we genuinely ask for good. See, a verse like this, when you read it, it ought to give you encouragement when you pray to God. Because we know, being his children, that we can go to him and confidently pour out our requests before him. You know, sometimes the only reason that we don't receive what we want from God is because we don't ask him. James 5, 13 through 18. James writes, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who was sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again. And the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Are you suffering? Pray. 
Are you sick? Pray. James even goes so far as to point to the fact that the prophet Elijah and what he was able to accomplish through prayer. He even reminds us that Elijah was a man just like you or I. He had a sinful human nature just like all of us. And yet he earnestly prayed that it would stop raining and it stopped raining. Now, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about earlier what prayer is not. Because so often, especially with our charismatic friends, they will take passages like this and twist it to basically imply that we can bend the will of God. And that's not what's being said here. So we don't want to go overboard. But when we read passages like this, the obvious implication in James' exhortation is that prayer can change things. We must be willing, therefore, to go to God and pour out our request to him with the faith that he will answer us. Robert Raymond, in his Systematic Theology, quotes John Calvin in this. And I want you to hear what Calvin says. He says, that we lie on earth poor and famished and almost destitute of spiritual blessings, while Christ sits in glory at the right hand of the Father, clothed with the highest majesty of empire, must be imputed to our slothfulness and narrowness of our faith. Do you see what Calvin is saying here? Christ, sitting at the right hand of God in his glory, mediating for us, we're on the earth, If we're poor, famished, destitute, that says more about our lack of faith and our lack of being willing to pray to God, being lazy, being too tired to pray to God and ask God for blessing than anything else. So, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. Now, Here comes the most important part in the second aspect of what prayer is. For things agreeable to his will. Lamentations 3 verse 37. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? We can't forget that. Again, we can't bend the will of God. Although there is power in prayer, that does not mean that now we're many gods with the ability to do whatever we want through prayer. God is still in control, and his will is ultimately what will get accomplished. When we pray to God, we must only pray those things that are in agreement with his revealed will. That means that we can't pray anything that is unbiblical. James, in James chapter 4, starting at verse 2, going into verse 3, he says this, You do not have because you do not ask. True enough. And then he says this, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So see, it's not just that you're not asking. That is a big problem. But also, see, when you're asking, you're asking with evil intent. First John 5, 14 through 15. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So we are one major implication with this point is that in order for your prayers to be more effective, 
you have to be in the word regularly. Because see, the Bible is what contains God's revealed will. So the more you know God's word, the more you'll be able to pray according to his will. So we just saw prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. And then here comes the third point in the name of Christ. John 16, verse 23, we read this. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, this is Jesus talking, he will give it to you. Because of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of us, man, we alone cannot approach the throne of God, quite frankly, without being destroyed. Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 2. Listen to what Isaiah writes. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Our sins. But see, Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is our mediator who intercedes between us and the Father. So it is through Christ that we have access to the Father. So we pray in Jesus' name knowing that while apart from Christ's intercession, God may not hear us, but then God through Christ will not deny a prayer sent to him through Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom, in whom, Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So through Christ, we have access to the Father. So we are to pray in the name of Christ, the next point, by the help of his spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verses 26 to 27. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there are indeed times in which words can't express what you're trying to communicate to God. There are times where you may express something in a way that was not what you intended. Now, the Holy Spirit helps in our weakness to properly communicate what was intended. You know, when you're talking with someone, sometimes... You know, you have to hope that they know what you're trying to communicate if you can't communicate properly. You have to hope that they don't take what you say the wrong way because plenty of times we might misstate something, we might misspeak, and we have to clarify our words. But see, when we pray to God with the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, that's one thing that you don't have to worry about. That doesn't mean that we can be reckless with our words, but it does mean that if we can't perfectly verbally express something, that we know that the omniscient God of the universe, through the Holy Spirit, will understand 
what we mean. And if we, even if we can't express it through words, that the Holy Spirit will intercede for us to convey what it is that we're trying to say. So, we've seen so far, prayers and offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, by the help of the Holy Spirit, with confession of our sins. 1 John 3, 21 through 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask or we, yeah, we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Psalm 66, verses 17 through 18. I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The psalmist here doesn't say that God might not hear. He says that the Lord will not hear if we regard sin in our hearts, if we're harboring it. Proverbs 28, verse 9. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. If we are treasuring sin in our heart and are continually violating God's law, we ought not expect that our prayers are going to be heard by God. Now, in light of what I just said in regards to praying in the name of Christ, some of you might say, but JP, I, I thought you said that Jesus is interceding for us. Why does it matter if we're not confessing our sins? Well, it matters because even though we are redeemed in Christ, we have been redeemed to live holy lives. We were once a slave to sin and now we are a slave to Christ. As such, we are called to live lives of holiness. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, we are to be holy because God is holy. If we continue to brazenly and flippantly live in sin, we make a mockery of the blood of Christ. Christ will not intercede for us, and the only thing we can expect from God is wrath and judgment. As faithful followers of Jesus, we know that we will constantly fall short of the standard given to us in God's moral law. We know that we are utterly dependent on God. We are aware of our sinfulness and the majesty of God. As such, we ought to be humbled to the point where each time we go to God in prayer, we are confessing our sins before him. Psalm 32, verses 3 to 6, the psalmist says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. So we confess our sins to God. And then the last point in prayer, there's that thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Philippians 4 verse 6, Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then in Psalm 106 verse 1, the psalmist says, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. 
See, when you realize what you deserve in light of your sins and that you have not received wrath and judgment from God, but rather you've received grace, favor, mercy, every single time you pray to God, you ought to be acknowledging that. The fact that God did not strike you dead when you thought that sinful thought, when you said that sinful, made that sinful remark, when you did that sinful act, but rather he bore with you ought to cause you to thank God for being merciful. When you pray and are presenting your request before God, there must, there must be an acknowledgement of his mercies because you don't deserve to stand before him in light of your sins. So that is prayer in a nutshell. It's not some magical incantation. It's not us commanding God to do what we want. It's not us just talking through our problems with a therapist. But prayer, again, just to repeat it, is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will, not our will, to his will, in the name of our mediator, Jesus Christ, by the help of his Holy Spirit with a humble confession of our sins and a thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. That is what prayer is. Well, this concludes our lesson for today. Next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we will continue our study on prayer by looking at the efficacy, the power of prayer for the believer.